Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Islam for Christians, episode 93, Biblical Figures in Islam, part 15. New Testament, Mary, part 1. Mary, the mother of Jesus, blessed virgin, bearer of the miraculous fruit of a miraculous conception. Now, that's not just a preamble to a Catholic prayer. Actually, I'm not sure it is at all. <laughs> what that is, is a summary of the Islamic position on Mary. Because Islam incorporates the special role of Mary, as Christianity does, as well as the virgin birth of Jesus. And of course, that is, um, that's no small thing. Um, they're obviously the only two religions that do that. Now, Mary is unique in many ways. I should say the Islamic Mary is unique in many ways. She is the only woman mentioned by name in the Quran, and she's also the only woman who overshadows her male spouse in Islamic lore. And so much so, Joseph will be entirely absent from the picture when the Islamic story is told. So actually, Mary, the Islamic Mary, doesn't even have a husband. So Mary's place in Islam is special, no doubt. Not as special as in the Christian tradition, arguably. I mean, once you're bearing God himself, anything else, just by definition, is a step down. But by Islamic standards, it's about as special as someone can get. And the overlap with Christianity is quite significant, much like the overlap between the two religions. Uh, one of the most famous apparitions of Mary, um, you know, the one that is celebrated by Catholics, Our Lady of Fatima, that actually took place in a city named after Muhammad's daughter, Fatima. You know, back when, was it Spain or Portugal? I think it was Spain, but, you know, back when Spain was Islamic. Uh, they just kept the name. Now, not that that event was theologically significant. Well, maybe it was. Uh, God knows best. But the overlap between the Christian and Muslim Mary, it goes far beyond interesting coincidences like Our Lady of Fatima. Which was, by the way, in Portugal. I went ahead and looked that up for you. All right, so the theological overlap between Islam and Christianity. Um, since we're talking about Mary, uh, how about we use her most famous prayer, uh, the Hail Mary? Uh, it's a famous prayer right there alongside the Our Father. you know. And a Muslim could recite almost the entire thing without veering from Islamic orthodoxy. That's actually how much overlap there is there. Now, it's such a short prayer. Let me just recite it for those who don't know uh, or who may not have heard it. But just kind of think about this in, in an Islamic context. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Now, if you look at that from an Islamic perspective, I'm pretty sure only three words of that prayer would be verboten. Those being, of course, mother of God. But aside from that, no Muslim is going to deny that Mary is full of grace, that she is blessed among women and the mother of a blessed son. In the Islamic story, this special nature was known even before Jesus, which is why the holy men actually cast lots to decide who would have the privilege of caring for this extraordinary young woman. And again, this was before Jesus. And if Muslims actually had a version of the Hail Mary prayer, it would be this. Uh, from the Quran, Surah 3, verse 42. And remember when the angels said, O Mary, surely Allah has selected you, purified you, and chosen you over all women of the world. All right, the Islamic Mary. Now, some things you already know, at least if you've been listening, because we went over them in the episodes uh, that covered her parents, and by extension, Mary's childhood. We've kind of gone over that. But for those who didn't listen to that episode, or was it those episodes, here's a quick recap of Mary's life up until the point she is a teenager, which is kind of what we're going to be focusing on here. Mary was born the daughter of Imran, and her parents prayed to protect her from Satan. This was granted, and eventually, presumably with her parents dead, Mary comes under the care of Zechariah, the prophet. Now, as I've said before, the Islamic Zechariah has a much, much more prominent role in the story of the um, New Testament's holy family. Or, I guess in the Islamic context, it's not really a holy family. It's uh, Mary and Jesus. But usually when talking about Zechariah and Mary, you know, when I say holy family, that means like the holy extended family, as the Muslims would put it, you know, the family of Imran. So Mary is, for now, basically a teenager. In previous episodes, we went over her parents and their prayer to protect this woman, this young, extraordinary woman or girl, whatever you want to call her at the time, to protect her from Satan. And she comes under the custody of the prophet Zechariah. You know, back when they cast lots, he won because God rigged the contest. So even before the virgin birth, Mary is clearly viewed as a special woman. That's something that Quran tries to convey with the early stories about her childhood, you know, and she is under Zechariah's care. And God is also keeping a very close eye on her. The Quran tells us that Zechariah was not only Mary's caretaker, um, you know, and not just spiritually her caretaker, he, like he was her physical caretaker. As the Quran tells us in 337, so her Lord accepted her graciously and blessed her with a pleasant upbringing, entrusting her to the care of Zechariah. Whenever Zechariah visited her in the sanctuary, he found her supplied with provisions. He exclaimed, Oh Mary, where did this come from? She replied, It is from Allah. 
Surely Allah provides for whoever he wills without limit. So as time goes on, it seems the guardianship of Mary, it kind of shifts from Zechariah to God himself. You know, God is almost the, the third guardian she's had. It went from Imran to Zechariah to now God. And really, by the time Mary is going to bear Jesus, you don't hear very much about Zechariah anymore. And when we get to Mary's famous pregnancy, uh, the beginning of it at least, the Islamic version roughly follows the Gospel of Luke. Now, we'll go over this some later, I think, you know, just the sources of all of this. But just keep in mind, by later I mean other episodes, not in this episode, but just keep in mind that if you're looking at this through the eyes of, say, a literary critic, the Islamic version of New Testament figures, it tends to be a blend of the Gospel of Luke and a few other, not other, a few actual apocryphal Gospels that you've probably never heard of. And this is a good example of that. Now, like Luke, the Islamic version mostly passes over the figure of Joseph, and no attempt is made to look at things from Joseph's perspective. Like in Matthew, for example, where the angel appears to Joseph, uh, he appears to Joseph instead of Mary. And this whole story, it deals with the impending scandal of having a woman pregnant by someone other than her husband, and what can be done with that. But the Quran deals with this whole thing, this whole question of the scandal and whatnot, very differently than Matthew. <laughs> differently than Luke, too, actually. Uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, spoiler alert, the baby Jesus himself solves the problem. Now, when it comes to the virgin birth of Jesus, there is extreme overlap between Luke and the Quran. Now, here's what I mean. I'm going to give you a few stories here. Uh, starting with Luke and then a couple from the Quran, and just kind of, you know, let them run over you and, and see what you think that they may have in common and what they don't. So let's start with Luke here. Uh, this is First Luke 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit, in capital letters, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now 
your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Okay, I'm guessing that was familiar, particularly for Christian listeners, but here's the same story, not the same story, but here's the Quran's version of this story. This is Surah 3, verses 45 to 47. Remember when the angels proclaimed, O Mary, Allah gives you good news of a word from him. His name will be the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary honored in this world and the hereafter, and he will be one of those nearest to Allah. And he will speak to people in his infancy and adulthood and will be one of the righteous. Mary wondered, My Lord, how can I have a child when no man has ever touched me? An angel replied, So will it be. Allah creates what he wills. When he decrees a matter, he simply tells it, Be. And it is. Now, here's that story again. And this is from Surah 19, verses 16 to 21. And really the only difference is this has a few more details. And mention in the book, O Prophet, he's talking to Muhammad, the story of Mary when she withdrew from her family to a place in the east, screening herself off from them. Then we sent to her our angel, Gabriel, appearing before her as a man, perfectly formed. She appealed, I truly seek refuge in the most compassionate from you, so leave me alone if you are God-fearing. She's talking to the angel, perfectly formed man here. And he responded, I am only a messenger from your Lord, sent to bless you with a pure son. And she wondered, how can I have a son when no man has ever touched me, nor am I unchaste? So he replied, so will it be. Your Lord says it is easy for me, and so will we make him a sign for humanity and a mercy from us. It is a matter already decreed. So a few differences, of course, but mostly the same thing. The angel is telling her about what will happen and about the importance of the son she is about to give birth to. And in the Quran, it is all about Mary. Luke barely mentions Joseph, and the Quran ignores him entirely. And you'll see the same thing as we move into the birth of Jesus. But let's go back to the virgin birth here. The major difference between the Islamic and the Christian version of events is actually pretty obvious. What impregnated Mary? And what does that mean for the figure of Jesus that would be the result of all this? Now, the Christian answer is easy. The Holy Spirit, capital letters, impregnated Mary. It's right there in the text. And because the Father, so to speak, is divine, well, then so is the offspring. Again, in the text, he will be the Son of God. 
However, Islam has no Holy Spirit, at least in capital letters. And how precisely Mary was impregnated is quite ambiguous in Islam. And it actually follows the other sensibilities of Islamic theology, or lack thereof. Because this isn't something that has to be reasoned out, you know, because God is involved. Again, from the Muslim perspective, you know, who, who are we to attach labels to it? A Muslim would say. It's right there in the Quran. It's easy for God to do anything. He just says, be, and it is. There's no need to get bogged down in the mechanics of all this. You, you, know, you see this sensibility, this Islamic sensibility across many things. For example, um, how does one know that he will have eternal life in paradise? Well, God says so. <laughs> That's it. There's no need for redeemers or, or anything complicated. If it is possible, God can just do it. It's that simple. You will be saved if God says so. The why and the how are just not nearly as important in Islam as they are in Christianity. You know, a Muslim would say, you know, let God worry about the why and the how. That's really not our business. So with that same sensibility, the Quran doesn't provide a whole lot of detail here. There's the angel who gives her the news, but there is nothing about how the essence of God, so to speak, is being transferred into her. There is nothing about God overshadowing her or the Holy Spirit coming upon her. The moment of conception is basically skipped over. So what is it that impregnated Mary? I mean, if you can even use that word, that's probably not even an accurate word. It seems that the Quran is saying that Jesus came to be the same way that Adam came to be only through a womb. <laughs> that would be one of the main differences because obviously a womb was not an option for Adam because there were no women yet. So this person, this essence, whatever it is, so either Gabriel or something else in the form of a perfectly formed man made this happen. So at first glance, it does seem that this perfectly formed man was probably the cause. Um, maybe. Again, the cause of the pregnancy. Again, if that's even the correct word. And again, that might be the case. Uh, but a, an even better clue um, is found elsewhere in the Quran. Now, this is in Surah 66, verse 12, where it says, there is also the example of Mary, the daughter of Imran, who guarded her chastity. So we breathed into her womb through our angel Gabriel. She testified the words of her Lord and his scriptures and was one of the sincerely devout. So the Lord breathed his spirit into the womb. Now that's kind of important because... You know, the Quran's use of spirit can be all over the place. So you want to actually specify that it was not the angel's spirit being breathed into Mary here. It was God himself, his spirit. Now, what does that mean? 
Let's jump to another passage with this same Arabic phrase, the phrase, we breathed our spirit into him. You see this in a few places, and this one is in relation to Adam. Now, this is Surah 15, verse 29, where it says, So when I have fashioned him and had a spirit of my own creation, breathed into him, fall down in prostration to him. So once again, we have this same action of God breathing into something. Now, this is the verb nafika, which means literally to breathe into. Now, not just to breathe, but, but to fill something with breath. As in, if you were to blow up a balloon, this is the word that you would use. Um, and as far as spirit, uh, the word for spirit here is the noun ru, which means spirit or soul, which you see all over the Quran that tends to mean various things. So what is this essence being breathed into Jesus the way it was breathed into Adam? Well, in the Islamic sensibility, you don't really have to go too crazy with definitions here. Because this is theology, not human action, which is of far lesser importance in Islam. Now, in Christianity, somewhat to oversimplify, the opposite is true. Um, and that's why, you know, like I mentioned, th this word is just all over the place. This word for spirit, you know, sometimes it means angel, sometimes a more mysterious essence, but you can see the implication of the two versions here. The two versions meaning the Christian version and the Islamic version. Now, in the Christian version, the divine essence is passed on to the Son in a very real way, making Jesus divine. Kind of like a programmer who designs an artificial intelligence program. It's not the same as its creator exactly, but it's indistinguishable from the creator. AI programs will always reflect the values and biases of their creators, and the two cannot be separated once one begets the other. Now, I know that's an imperfect analogy, <laughs> because the AI program doesn't become one with the programmer, but, you know, it's, it's an analogy. You know, just run with it. Don't try to <laughs> base any religious texts on that analogy. Um, just an example of what I'm talking about here. You know, if this were a thousand years ago, that analogy could actually kind of get me killed. <laughs> I see the obvious flaws in that. Okay, so to continue running with this analogy, which is obviously an imperfect analogy, that's what makes it an analogy, let's go to the Islamic version. Now, the divine essence is passed on, but only in the way it was to Adam, creator to creation. Like when a carpenter builds a table, his essence is not in that table, even though he puts some of his soul into it, so to speak. So according to this sensibility, the creation of the Islamic Jesus does not result in divinity. God is not mixing with humanity here. God experiencing humanity in a direct way 
is just something that seems insane to Jews and Muslims. But it is, of course, the backbone of the Christian faith. This idea that, yes, God really does love us that much. And the result is the mystery of the Trinity. A notion so radical, it's amazing it ever got off the ground. Because even Christians don't fully understand it. You know, so you have this thing, this mystery, this doctrine that doesn't fully make sense to Christians either. I mean, in a real way, ask the Pope and he'll tell you he does not fully understand it. No one does. The saint, no one. The only difference is that as Christians, we believe it anyway. Now, why? Well, this thing may be a mystery, but we actually have a very good reason for believing it because we believe Jesus was who the apostles said he was. Now, you can throw all the tools of philosophy and theology at the Trinity, but in the end, it's still a mystery, an article of faith beyond human comprehension. Now, on the other hand, the Muslims obviously have a different take. In the Islamic sensibility, God is always slightly removed from his creation, and he would never lower himself to be that directly involved, that directly intertwined, um, you know, that on that level with his creation. But there is still an element of mystery there too, because the Quran actually says that God is closer to you than your jugular vein. So God is simultaneously far from humans and directly on top of them. Or you could say God is far above humans and at the same time right at our level. And that's not a contradiction. That's a holy mystery to be contemplated. Just to sort of underscore this difference, I've always used this uh, thought exercise. You know, thinking... What if I get to heaven and then the angel says, hey, welcome in, Christian man. But just so you know, the Muslims were right. Now, what would my reaction be? Now, obviously, there would be great joy at first because I'm in heaven. <laughs> That's a great place to be. You know, I made it, even though I was wrong. But at the same time, it would probably be tempered with some disappointment because like, okay, well, yeah, God does love us, but not quite as much as I thought he did. And coming from a Christian perspective, that's the huge difference in the stories. Just how much does God really love humanity? Just how willing is he to come down to our level for our sake. And as God, just how much can he do and still remain God? You know, what, what action can he take and still remain God? Those in the Christian and Islamic context, those are very, very different. Now, your belief on that front is directly tied to what exactly you think was breathed into Mary in that moment and what the resulting almost naturally flowing consequences of that are. 
What is the meaning of the child that is about to be born? Jesus, son of Mary, the son of God, or merely a very special child of God? Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Insha'Allah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.